0: just go to
1: cars.com It's magical.
0: We lie live right now, man. It's going down, sided for the season. You know, we're coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know,
1: we had a couple wins.
0: <laughs>
2: Suck it, Toronto. To think that, that a season is championship or championship is, is um, certainly the way we've approached it.
1: To the Miami Heat fans, it was... Uh you despicable people, and I hope I never hear from you again. Milwaukee, we do James Harden is
2: a massive joker, and he is a bum.
0: Bum. Finals MVP,
1: Giannis Aterecumpo! Yeah!
0: Bogdan Bogdanovich. Karma. Karma, bitch. Chris, you did it, huh? welcome to the Brew Hoop podcast episode 126. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com, joined as per usual for the first time in a while by my fellow compatriots over at BrewHoop, Riley Feldman and Kyle Carr. Fellas, how are we doing?
1: We're doing good. I'm feeling a lot like a seven foot, 285 pound man who just got back surgery and chilled out for months because Miami did its work. The beaches of South Beach rejuvenated me a lot like what's the back surgery in los angeles did for brooke lopez i'm feeling good feeling refreshed ready to go for the end of the season into the playoffs Uh, and today we're going to be going at a very high peak right from the get-go because we're talking bucks bulls which will be hilarious grade a content but i'm feeling good
2: i'm also feeling good i i'm now 30 so that and that is a weird feeling um have not did not need back surgery so hopefully we delay that i got a tattoo <laughs> i'm just going through i'm going through it all deciding you know what this new decade of life knew me so otherwise things have been good um weather sucks it snowed again just when it was starting to get nice
0: out so it is what it is 30 the big 3 i am feeling i'm at the um did, growing up did you guys have this phenomenon where even when you were in College, you were like looking at players in the NCAA tournament. And you were like they're way older than me. i have not. I'm now looking at them, and I've reached the age where I feel like I look at them and they look very young to me. Did you guys ever I experience think, this? I
2: think the problem for me is there's guys that I remember watching when I was younger, and now they have kids. And Nancy, like Jameer Nelson, like he <laughs> his son was in, and I was like, "What do you mean his son? What do you mean junior?" <laughs> or, like, there's a video going around, like, Dusty Baker's kid um presenting the lineup card. I was like, what do you mean Dusty Baker's kid is now, like, a prospect? No, this is not okay. Like, even in the soccer world, there's, like, one soccer player and his, like, two kid, his grandkid is now playing. I was like, absolutely not. Like, I remember watching this guy in, like, the early two 2000- thousand. No, this is not, ex- no. So that has been my dilemma, like, kind of the same thing, where they now just look really young like that dude over in st peter's with the mustache i'm like you look like someone that's trying to pass off as 21 with the fake id right now and it's it's not gonna work if you shave you look like you're 15.
1: I don't know know what you guys are talking about. I feel forever young. I look at these guys. I I felt that way about a lot of players, especially like a Perry Ellis or the guys who are at the college for eight years. I'm like, well, you look like a 35-year-old man. Um, I did feel it a lot in South Beach because we were on the front end of spring break season, which was unfortunate. But we just didn't think about that when we timed it. And walking around on like Ocean Avenue or Ocean Drive or whatever, and you're like, holy crap. You're like, man. It would have sucked to have been 20. Like, I can't remember how I even got through how I even got through that. Uh, you know, you do have the benefits of being young, but there's something to be said about not being an idiot anymore. So I, I respect myself for having survived that time in my life. But no, I don't really like watch college basketball or even like pro basketball. I'd be like, oh, man, that guy's like way younger than me yet. I'm sure it'll hit me soon, sooner rather than later. So.
0: Well, speaking of getting through it, that's certainly what the Bucks did to the Bulls last <laughs> week one twenty six to ninety eight, an absolute thumping. Just about every player was back, uh, although Chris Middleton decided that he had to, um, he had to rest that night. So the Bucs were oh so close to having a full roster. Giannis had twenty five points and seventeen rebounds in twenty nine minutes. He needed just twelve shots to do so. Drew twenty seven points and seven assists on twelve of seventeen shooting. Every starter was in double figures. DeMar DeRozan had to take 23 shots just to get his 21 points. Uh, another, I would say, pretty DeRozan-esque performance for him for the second time in a row. Riley, this this win brought you a lot of joy. I'm just going to let you sort of
1: riff and, and discuss it on, on your own terms. It did bring me a lot of joy. And the reason why it brought me a lot of joy was, I mean, obviously the Bulls sucked. Um, and... Really, it's because this game was the one where if Bulls fans are like, we're just waiting for guys to get back once Alex Caruso's back, once Patrick Williams, who has been there, uh you know, the unicorn for months now. Like once Patrick is back, I never understood that uh, they had essentially their full compliment and it looked horrendous. Yeah. The closest it looked for them was when Giannis was quite obviously just effing around for the first eight minutes of the first quarter. Like, he does that a lot during games where it's like, oh, I'm just going to let Bobby get the shots up or Brooke or Drew Holiday. And then once, like, the three-minute mark in the first quarter hit and he started trying, we went on immediately a 13-0 run. And by, like, the 10-minute mark of the second quarter, we were up almost 20. I was like, (laughs) it got so bad so fast for the Bulls. And if you, like... Ugh, there's so so much about this game that was so joyous. Nikola Vucevic is out there like I I liked there's a lot of different things for the Bucks I liked about this but the thing I liked most was um, Nikola Vucevic gets, he has to like guard Bobby because he's not quick enough to guard Giannis. And there would be a couple of times where they would throw Vucevic over to help out like a Patrick Williams or whatever on Giannis. And Giannis would literally just run past him. And then Vucevic would like do like, he'd like point up like, oh, that was my bad. Like that was quite obviously your bad guy. You didn't have to like, you didn't have to point out to yourself as the problem here. When I look at the Bulls, there's zero zero chance of them advancing against like any sort of serious competition. They have still zero size Vucevic. Like he had a good couple of like three pointers to start the game, but offensively he like, he's just a fuller spacer, but he's not quick enough to make a team pay for like isolating him on the perimeter. So in this game, we did it interesting where Bobby comes in and shares some minutes with Brooke on the floor And you're like, oh, well, how are they going to have it? They just put Bobby out on Vucevic because he's like, well, he's not going to do anything. And then Brooke goes fully into his like, well, I can just like prowl around the paint, essentially. Like, I don't have to worry about whoever's driving. And then Giannis is out there as well, like doing essentially like the guardian thing. So I liked in this seeing a lot of like the different big man rotations for us. And no matter who was out there for our rotation, defensively, we're really sound. Um, Probably helps that. Chicago has to have one of the worst shot profiles ever. I think Io Dosun, I'm going to mess up his last name, so I'm not even going to try right now. Um, he does like, he's getting some DeMar brain, unfortunately, and he's taking a lot of stupid mid-rangers. I'm like, why are you doing that? Like, are you just watching your hero play? And you're like, well, this makes sense for me. Like, I hope you don't get that habit for like your career. Um, Zach Levine, obviously a lot of the same. So there's just so much about the Bulls where, you could see the parts of why it would succeed for like a very short stretch of time, but against a team that has any sort of game plan or any sort of size. And unfortunately for Chicago, we have both and like loads. We have a lot of both of those things. There's just, there's going to be nothing for them. So this was uh, embarrassing for them. Uh, I was a little worried because the ball immediately at tip off at the very beginning went right to, uh, I think IO and he just dunked it right away. I was like, okay. And the Bulls fans, which there were a lot of them, they did go crazy, but um, Ultimately successful. So, this is just more of the same Uh, sad Bulls. And, uh, you know, I just love making fun of them on Twitter. It gives me life. It really does. It's
2: kind of funny because the Bulls' largest lead was three points, which was probably very early. And then Milwaukee decided, (laughs) all right, we're not going to let that happen and just stormed away. You talk, Riley, you're talking about Vucevic and the lack of rim protection. And I think it was very evident when the Bucks had 58 points in the paint and then shot 61 from the floor. It's kind of like a not necessarily a black hole of nothing for Chicago, but at that point, you might as well just get to the other end of the court and just let the Bucks get their free two points. It, it, it's kind of funny where it's just like this roster construction was never going to be able to beat teams that have an interior presence. Like I don't know how you expect to go against Giannis and then decide, you know what? We're not going to have any size. We're not going to even try. We're not even going to wall off the paint. We're just we're not even going to try and do like a box in one where we literally just have every defender and let the Bucks beat them shooting threes. It's kind of just a, you know, Tristan Thompson. Again, what it, what good is he? He's a terrible. You know, honestly, he's a terrible basketball player. The only thing he's worse at being a basketball player is being a father and a faithful husband. So, you know, we move on to that. The Bulls. Jamar DeRosa didn't get any free throws, so couldn't grift his way to getting more points than he absolutely thought he deserves. It's just looking at this Bulls team, it is kind of a there was the barrel was going to fall out. Like there was no way this what they were doing was going to be sustainable. I'm laughing at the Bulls tweet where they say, like, oh, they can't defend, they can't beat anyone good, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, yeah, you can't defend, as we have seen. And you haven't beaten anyone good because I think you're O of sixteen against the top three teams in the Western Conference and Eastern Conference. What good are you? And again, this is without Chris Middleton. I think uh Gabe had put in his recap that the Bucks had like a ninety percent defensive rebounding percentage, and obviously Brooke Lopez be back is huge for that, but it's kind of like a with the shot profile that Chicago has, you can't even get like a few tap ins. Like you can't even get a, like a loose ball to go your way. Like what are you doing here? You let Grayson Allen go five or seven from the floor. You, the Bucks looked in complete control. I think the only question that was really going to be answered was kind of a, all right. So how much how much higher would this lead have been if Chris Milton was playing? Because that that's the only thing that was going in Chicago's favor was oh Chris decided he was Chris wasn't playing. And that didn't matter. It just allowed the Bucks to kind of roll. Drew Holiday decided, all right, where well, I'm just gonna bully everyone that's gonna guard me. It's it is kind of funny because again, I don't know if you're Chicago, like where do you go from here? Because this is probably the best it's ever going to be for them, and it's gonna likely result in a first round exit.
0: Oh, the Bulls. Uh, I mean, uh, it's pre- it's pretty bad that the Bucks match them in mid range points, and that's supposed to be what the Bulls <laughs> do all the time. And that's without Chris Middleton.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: No kidding. Grayson Grayson didn't even shoot a three against them. He just decided to go. He was actually very ag- aggressive, like driving in and getting getting his floaters to fall. So that was that was some nice revenge for him after he kind of looked a little hesitant in Chicago. I mean, it's 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 tough for the Bulls because. Obviously, to start the year, it seemed like they had that sort of perimeter defensive shell with Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball. But realistically, like perimeter defense is just so much less important than interior defense in the NBA. So at some point, there was just going. It was obviously they didn't have Lonzo Ball, so that is a large part of it. But you're just not going to be able to always stop penetration, and when you have a soft interior, that's going to be a major issue for you. And there's only so much you can do against guards. Like you saw the the clear limitations of what a guy like Alex Caruso can do on the perimeter against the strength of someone like Drew or even against when you get a little bit of ball movement and you get a pump fake and you have someone like Grayson Allen who can just very, very easily do a little bit of penetration into the lane and see them start to jumble, try and find guys. And so they just looked off kilter. So I think what we've seen as the year has gone on is the Bulls so they slowly start to fall are more like the bulls we probably expected all year long. And they were clearly over exceeding expectations due to some incredible DeMar DeRozan shooting for most of the year. And now they're coming back to Earth. And I think that's important for all of us as Bucks fans that we did get one wallop win in there. Cause the last two wins were good, but they were kind of nasty. The first one, especially, was really hard to watch. So it was nice, Riley, to have one where we just absolutely slaughter them.
1: Yeah. And I'm glad, I don't know if I would have been happier us doing it on the home floor versus away. I mean, we had enough Bulls fans were sort of like a, an away game a little bit. I mean, I was impressed with, again, as we talked about in the last podcast, talking about the Bulls uh, fans, they were really committed to the Grayson Allen booing bit, at least for the first quarter. I think they kind of dropped off after that, but they were committed to it. So, uh, I'm going to say respect, but t- tip of the cap for that. Um, <laughs> It is satisfying because we've, when you're a team that hasn't really won a ton of stuff, I mean, I don't see Bulls fans on Twitter. I don't know if they're too old. I think the issue is for the Bulls, their fan base is like, they've sucked for any period of time that like people who would be on Twitter would like talk about the team. Like they had the D Rose season, that was about it. Uh, So they have a pretty boomer fan base. uh, And that team we get a lot of the trappings around the bulls as if they are a prestige franchise where in truth before michael jordan showed up they did squat and after jordan michael jordan left they haven't done anything they are the all the only difference between chicago and milwaukee in terms of being like premier franchises is like they're in a slightly bigger city and they have a worse lake front that's the only difference between us <laughs> cuz they do not they haven't earned anything about being a free agent destination. Do you remember when Carmelo Anthony's like, oh, the Bulls, and it was like, this is... Cr- it, I remember it was wall-to-wall coverage because it's like, oh my God, the Chicago Bulls are going to get a free agent. They're as sorry of a franchise as we are when it comes to being appealing to players. Nobody wants to play for the Bulls. You get either drafted there, and then you leave like Bobby Portis, and you're like, thank God <laughs> I'm out of Chicago. Or you're DeMar DeRozan, and you get traded, and you're like, I like it here, but that's only because... They're foolish enough to make me like the number one guy. So everything about Chicago, you hear all this mystique about like it's the Bulls. You have the uh the man, whatever whatever the name of the like um the intro music is that they've still played since like the 90s. They're like this is the 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 prestige, the like mystique, the crazy, like the pyrotechnics, it's the bulls. It's the Bulls. They've done nothing for like 30 years now, not whatever, like 20 some years now. They're a very sad franchise. And I, I'm glad that the league doesn't do anything to really like push them as like, oh, they're going to be they're going to be back. They're like big time. Nobody wants to watch Bulls basketball. Come on. Let's be honest. Right. People, it, you know, whatever. It, I just I've had to hear for so long about like, oh, the Bulls are like they dominate the Bucks, and they might have on the court. But in terms of like who they are, what they are as a franchise, they're they're for the past 10 years. Easily, they've been a much sorrier franchise than us from top to bottom. Um, I don't know who their ownership is, but they just make poor decisions. They've had an awful front office. They do bad job with picking coaches, Um, their players. They're not remarkable. Like everything about the franchise is unremarkable. And I I hope people start recognizing that a little bit more about how sad of a franchise they happen to be.
2: I, th- I think the funniest part about all this, though, to be honest, is we were all saying, like, oh, maybe the Bulls will be, you know, 7-seed, 8-seed. Like, that's their ceiling. Like, you know, that's going to be – and that's respectable. It's not going to – like, oh, they made all those signings. We're like, okay, whatever. Maybe they make the playoffs. They'll sneak into a play game Sure. And then it got up to this ridiculous start. And it was like, okay, good for them. But – and then they're starting uh, – then you start peeling the layers. And it's like, oh, wait. They're not beating anyone Good. And most of the teams that are good that they're beating are probably injured. You start seeing, okay, they play the Bucs and they get blown out. They're playing the Nets when they still had James Hart. And they're getting like, they're playing these teams and they're kind of getting exposed slowly but surely. And I think the funniest thing about that is, Bulls fans have been so locked in on the Grayson Allen hate that it's kind of made them realize... I think my favorite part is they've been so focused on the Grayson Allen problem that they have not realized, okay, but you guys are getting your doors blown off of you by anyone that looks like a competent team. Maybe you should start worrying about that and not what Grayson Allen did. Like Again, all you're doing with this Grayson Allen thing, it reminds me of Philly coming out and wanting to boo Malcolm Brogdon and then he didn't play, so they booed Tony Snell and then they just look like an embarrassment. Like You guys are just straight up embarrassing yourself at this point. Get over it. Caruso's back. Didn't make a difference. I mean, as we saw, I don't think Alex Caruso is this, you know, X factor of a guy. So I think they just need to kind of maybe worry about that. And as they continue sliding down the playoff standings, it is ironic because if the season ended today, it'd be Bucks Bulls. And I'm easily, I'm going to say that's going to be a four game Let's make it
1: happen. Please, I want four games and I want this slander for four games. Please make it happen. But all
2: all I'm going to say is if the Bulls don't watch out, they are going to somehow end up out of not only just a guaranteed playoff spot, they're probably going to end up in a playing game and potentially get the Nets. And that would be the funniest thing because I would laugh at whoever loses. Whoever loses, I get joy because then they probably have to play Charlotte or Atlanta. I mean, neither of them are great but if they were to go if the bulls went from at one point top of the eastern conference standings to completely eliminated i would oh man bulls fans are gonna have like that nbc bulls page is gonna have to just deactivate for the like next five years
1: i think what's probably most embarrassing for bulls fans it's not so much the the grace and Alan Cruz. i mean yes that's embarrassing i think mark stein embarrassed himself way more with that than bulls fans bulls fans you're just like you know, you're like us. You're just idiots. Like everybody who's not a media person is like an idiot. Mark Stein, you should know better. Uh, we'll talk about I mean, that I was going to say most time. media people are idiots. That's <laughs> true. Um, but what's what's more embarrassing for them is that they fell for the DeMar DeRozan thing. I mean, that's like the oldest trick in the book for the past decade plus. Like he he does the mid-range thing, but it just doesn't last. Like everybody, everybody anybody who's cursely followed the NBA, they know this about him and they fell for it. And that's embarrassing for them. Back over to the Bucks because that's who that's the team that we do cover in this podcast. <laughs> I swear that's who we talk about. Um, I, I just so this is the first time we're talking as a podcast since Brooke Lopez has returned. Um, I just wanted to mention in this immediately obvious how important he is on both ends of the floor. I love the way that he is back and Giannis immediately gets 17 rebounds. You can hear it on, you can hear it on the microphones when there are loose balls, like a defensive rebound available. Brooke is out there calling out like Giannis, you go, you, you get the rebound now. Um and in the Washington Wizards game, and I think even in the Memphis game, the same thing plays out with Bobby Portis then, where it's like, okay, Brooke, he knows exactly his role, and he is executing it already. Whereas, yes, as Kyle said, because of Chicago's shot profile and the where where they put Nikola Vucevic makes it a lot easier for us to get the rebounds, but Brooke is out there communicating, throwing his body around, and Giannis now has the confidence, like, I don't have to, like, reliably – just go into the trenches for every rebound like it's very easy for him to get it and then just go on offense i think we're gonna see it over the next i think there are what are there eight games remaining nine games remaining into those just to see the slight differences about how quickly we can engage in transition offense we've been kind of like i think we've been high on pace lately but i can't remember what we've been for most of the year um, I think we actually been kind of a high paced team all year, but I like the ability of Giannis to like, he doesn't have to fight for a rebound. He can immediately like get it swing underneath the hoop and get running at like a full sprint already with the ball. There's just small stuff like that about having Brooke, Um and on offense. We'll talk about that too, but this is a good game for him. Um, he's, he's scoring. He's like attacking the rim. There's a lot of good stuff from Brooke Lopez in this game in particular.
0: Was this the first game he started? yes I yeah. believe yep. it was okay so and that obviously was a nice was I would say a nice little storyline with Bobby Portis obviously taking it fully in stride <clears throat> going back to the bench so that was nice to see you're totally right about Brooke Lopez from a communication standpoint uh you can obviously hear him on the mics like you said but it does feel like you can see him constantly talking out there defensively and that that was something that I think was a little probably underrated about what PJ Tucker brought to the team is he seemed to communicate all the time and the team seemed to know what they were doing. And to be frank for a lot of the season, they didn't really look like they knew what they were doing defensively. There were just like so many frustrating breakdowns. And so hopefully the reemergence of Brooke, not just brings the sort of stabilizing force of the drop coverage, but some communication like that, that, that just kind of got lost. I think in all of the hand wringing over the defense is, well, the main reason the defense isn't as good is that we run drop coverage. Like, 75 percent of the time you just happen to notice when we run the switching or the blitzing coverage most of the time even in the playoffs last year it was a lot of drop coverage primarily drop coverage that's why we won the championship so when we can't play that very well no wonder our defense is going to be kind of middling so that has been significant like a significant injection of of defensive stability with with brook in there they're I, th- I think I saw some tweets that said their numbers were, were much closer already to what they were doing with, with Brooke out there in terms of fewer shots at the rim. You can you can just see it. You can see shots that we all saw go in against Bobby Portis, against Giannis, frankly, sometimes, against Sandro, God forbid. They, those shots would drop in against Brooke. They have not been they have just been either bouncing out or they've clearly been tougher. You can see it out there and and defensively he's already made a, a huge difference. Um, all right. Well, anything else about this Bulls game that we want to say? Kyle, do you feel good? You get everything off your chest about the Bulls?
2: I feel great. It, it's just fun. <laughs> it's just fun beating the Bulls. It, you know, I didn't think I had this much animosity towards the Bulls. I don't have as much compared to like a Boston or Philly, but it's already get up there. And that, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a good thing. That is a good
1: thing. I didn't think it was possible for me to find a fan base that I could mock more viciously than the Heat fans. Uh, and what, I could talk more about Heat fans, too, because I've been among them for about a week, but uh, <laughs> the Bulls are they are climbing the power rankings, so I do hope we see them in the playoffs because that would be hilarious. I think it would be easy sweep. It may be DeMar gets hot for one game, but I think it'd be a sweep, gentlemen's sweep at the worst.
0: You weren't wait. You weren't in Miami for um, Spogate, were you? With the spat no, no. I,
1: I, I but or... you could you could tell the electricity in the air for sure. <laughs> um, I don't know if it was the random shootings from Spring Breakers or what, but you could feel the energy in the air that it was coming. And I I credit a lot of that to Jimmy Butler. So uh, shout out to you, Jimmy. You could feel everybody that everybody's wearing the like really bad alter like alternate uniforms for the Heat because you hear a lot about from Miami. Like Miamians, like oh, South Beach is—it's a plague on our city. It's a cancer. All these things, and yet these jerseys are like totally inspired. Everything South Beach and everybody, it, literally everybody I saw in the city that wore Heat stuff had that uniform. So uh, I think doth protest too much, Heat fans. Uh, please don't complain about your own city and then really buy a ton of stuff that looks awful and is inspired by the worst part of your city.
0: Oh, Heat fans. Uh, let's talk about this Wizards game very briefly. Uh, I mean, it, <laughs> the Wizards have really fallen apart as the season has gone on. I mean, it didn't help in this game that they were missing Kyle Kuzma. It, it started to. It started that, to feel that's how of...
2: that's you know things are down bad for them. Is when it's like, man, <laughs> if they had Kyle Kuzma, maybe it would have been a little bit more respectable.
0: Yeah, that is that is true. It, it, I mean, it was just so it was felt kind of weird because I feel like at the beginning of the season, I mean, it was just kind of strange, honestly. Like they had, all of a sudden they have Porzingis on there. Thomas Sadoransky, who seems like he actually should should have been on the Wizards like his entire career, all of a sudden looks like he's just he's just in a Wizards uniform again. I mean, Smith has been there for a while. It, it, this is a strange game, but the the main point of this one, Kyle, was Drew Holiday was awesome. He had 24 points on 18 shots, 10 assists. He looked really good. Grayson had 21. And then Pat Connaughton, obviously, was the other person who returned this past week. He had 16 points on just eight shots. At, I mean, this was just the a Bucks team, even without Chris and Giannis, just doing, you know, doing the Wizards dirty. Yeah, and the score makes it look a little bit more
2: respectable, but I think that was just more with the Bucks coming, kind of going with scrub lineup at the end, and the Wizards kind of getting hot with shooting. So, like, the the score looks nicer for the Wizards, but really it was a blowout from quarter one. It... This is just one of those games where the Bucks are significantly better even without Giannis and Chris because Drew was that good. And then as long as you have someone else jump in and help out one of the big three, which Grayson Allen did, five of seven from three is definitely going to help Pack and off the bench. And I'm sure we'll talk about him a little bit more. But you even had guys like George Hill, you had Serge Ibaka, you had like everyone was able to kind of chip in with whatever contributions. I'm kind of impressed at Wes Matthews. Did not score a single point, only took a single shot, and he took 20, he played twenty eight minutes. So, like, congrats, Wes on knowing your role. I guess I don't know. Jordan Wara missed all of his shots. Is what it is. <laughs> not surprising there, but also Javon Carter is pretty freaking good. Um, I I do need to mention that I he has been very impressive. And when I did my confidence uh in the with the pod that we did last time, I had said I was really high on him, and I think he's slowly showing more and more why. So it's been pretty nice to see, but. I don't know. The Wizards are a weird team where I think now they're they're not eliminated yet, if I'm not mistaken. But it is kind of a... I don't know what happened to them. Maybe everything just caught up with them. Or I, I don't know. They're just a very odd team where it just seems like it all fell apart out of nowhere. And it's like a quiet falling apart. It's not like it just suddenly happened. It was kind of just a slow deterioration of it but I don't know the Wizards are a weird team Bucks are just so much better and Drew's great
1: this is this is pretty typical for a Bradley Beal team this has happened again you want to talk about guys oldest trick in the book have like some crazy numbers he's a lot like scream a lot on the court when he does well guy like scream out of like look at me I'm I'm amazing and then the team absolutely implodes and he's been I think they they just waved the white flag. They were like in playoff position. He's like, I'm actually going to get wrist surgery. Uh, so <laughs> interesting choice uh, there. I'm sure you needed it, but whatever. Um, for this one, I liked in the first quarter. We were, I mean, like Kyle said, it was a blow up from the start. Drew Holiday, Brooke Lopez, that two man game. They were just lobbing it up back and forth. Like <laughs> it's a lot of fun to watch the Bobby Portis. Like he immediately comes back into the starting lineup. He hits like a three, like right away. It's like, oh, Bobby has like a good game. Now that he's back in the starting lineup for a game, we can talk about that, like dynamic a little bit more. Um, it, it, Like this game. Like you guys said like it was a blowout uh the wizards are not good uh, ish smith had like the fourth quarter of his life salute ish smith he's been in the league a lot longer than i would have expected former buck ish smith uh who i thought was going to be the key to that trade he ended up to the jj reddit trade it ended up not being the case but um this game kind of i think what it drives home more than anything is like mike boonholzer is going to have his work cut out for him picking who his shortened rotation is going to be because Like, everybody who played outside of Jordan Wara, who, let's... I think we can all agree right here on the podcast, Jordan Wara is not going to be in the playoff rotation unless literal, like, disasters have happened, natural catastrophes. So, like, Drew Holiday, of course. Bobby Portis, of course. Grayson Allen, yes. Brooke Lopez, yes. Wes Matthews, potentially. George Hill, probably. Pat Connaughton, yes. Serge Ibaka, yes. Javon Carter, yes. Like, that is 10-plus dudes. uh, Giannis and Chris, like, that's going to be 10-plus dudes who are going to be all pretty much deserving of minutes. And, like, that's such a windfall for the Bucks, who have been down so many players all season long. We went from, like, all right, Sandro, you're going to have to play 25 minutes tonight, being, like, <laughs> to having double-digit guys who can all play, like, plus basketball at their best. And so in games like this where we're missing Giannis and Chris, it's great for us because you can go out there, you can say Drew... He's been on a heater, like I forget who somebody posted some stats he's had over like the past month or two, but he's been like playing out of his mind. Brooke Lopez is back. He looks very agile, like he looks like he hasn't missed all that much. Um, And then like all the other filling guys, so long as there's still a main point of attack guy, the rest of the offense can still function. Um, It falters a little bit and we'll talk about this in the Memphis game. It falters a little bit when you don't have like the high-end reliable ball handling like george hill is no true holiday like george hill is still a crafty like intelligent player but in terms of offensive creation he's not true holiday javon carter has been like really good but he is essentially like do simple passes and that's what he does on the offensive events when it t- comes to creating for other guys and that's fine for the most part because it's like just dump it off to Giannis and make it happen um but when drew is in there we have such like a strong lineup and um this game really showed that i think and and it'll be tough for bud because we can't play 11 guys like as much as i would think all these guys are playable i i'm not into the like make 11 guys it's just too many different lineups trying to like balance it out so there'll be some hard questions for budenholzer to answer about who gets left in the cold and who doesn't
2: yeah i'm not sure who's going to get left in the cold because it's kind of one of those where it feels as though one of George Hill or Javon Card is going to have to get left out in the cold or else you don't because you don't need both of them. No. It's kind of weird where it's like I don't know if Boone is going to need both of them if he shortens it to you know a eight man rotation So which of the two it's kind of like what you said Riley like George Hill's kind of more the crafter one but Javon Carter is probably the better option for defending and you know offensively he has done pretty well. I don't expect Wes Matthews to be in the playoff rotation when it gets shortened. I, I, it's going to be one of those where you, once you get to the second round and potentially like Eastern Conference Finals and the NBA Finals, it's definitely going to get shorter. But it, it is interesting, though, how that is all going to shift. And as we've been bemoaning about how bad the bench has been, now we actually have a bench. It's kind of nice after going pretty much the whole season where it's like, all right, if Pat Connaughton's not on, this bench unit is going to be an absolute tire fire. Now it's like, okay, you got Pat content, but now you also have Bobby Portis.
0: Man, it's tough to know. I think that was actually an underrated part of last year as well was, but had so few options of players that could reasonably. It's <laughs> like, like, we, we suck
1: past guy seven. We suck so bad that I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> right. Right. Like it was kind of like jo- John
0: Horst cut down all, like took almost every club out of his bag. And was like, you have a driver, you have one wedge and you have a putter. You have to <laughs> use these three so here's your
2: driver uh, here's your iron here's your wedge here's yes. your potter good luck yes exactly so i need the seven eight hybrid
0: i'm I'm curious how it's going to approach it i mean when you think about it i i don't know where the Serge Ibaka minutes are going to come although i will say i have been a little bit heartened by his offensive contributions like mm-hmm. he's been he's been hitting threes which is you know what I, I just, I'm never trusting that for almost anyone in the playoffs with the Bucs. I just, I can't ever trust it. <laughs> but he has been hitting like a small floaters. Like he does those kind of shots where it's like, okay, it's the third quarter. Giannis hasn't hit anything. Chris hasn't hit anything. We just need like one bucket right now to tide us over for a little bit. Like Brooke would do this occasionally last year. Like in the in the finals, there were some times where Brooke had, you know, four points in a stretch where you just, you really needed four points because no one else could get a shot. So I, I've enjoyed that from Surge. The Carter versus Hill argument is really interesting because I think Hill, Hill's just bigger. So realistically, you probably feel a little more comfortable switching with them. But I, in general, I find Siobhan Carter to be the better defender, like in aggregate, in terms of just his intensity on the ball, being able to go full court and actually you know, reliably get back, back to people. So I think that's an interesting uh, conundrum, Kyle, that you bring up between those two. Yeah,
2: it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, in once we get like into the postseason, I, for the first round, I don't think it's going to be that much of an issue because Bud is going to throw you know ten, eleven guys out there because it'll likely be a team that he feels confident beating. But when you start getting to more of the better teams in Eastern Conference, that'll definitely raise some concerns. And I forgot about Serge Ibaka too. I he'll probably get some spot minutes here or there. Probably get like one stint in the second quarter, or maybe like a stint in the third quarter, depending on foul trouble. I expect him to still be in the rotation. It just might not be as active, but he has offensively been pretty good, which is which is what we were not sure if that was going to be the case. We figured, okay, you're here for defense and any offensive contribution you make is great, but we'll, I, I can see him getting kind of like that five to 10 minute stretch.
1: Yeah, I think Javon Carter's going to end up getting the shortness like just because he hasn't been here as long. I think George Hill has a lot more like of Bud's trust probably. And there are times like if there's going to be any guy running in transition, that's not one of the big three. I want George, Hill to be the guy because he makes like excellent decisions around the rim at driving. Uh, you know, there are times where it's still like a step slow or whatever, but he, he rarely makes like mistakes choosing out the right move on offense, especially. Um, and Javon Carter, like I said, like, He's been he's been shooting so much better. I think he's think he's shooting like over fifty percent from three since he joined the Bucks. Which you know, small sample size. Something tells me that's probably not going to be reliable. <laughs> Maybe he's the man who breaks the curse. I have some doubt <laughs> the three point curse. I have some doubts. Um, so assuming that drops out, like yes, defensively. But um, the reason why he's playable right now is he's like making so many. And they're all stupid threes too. Like none of them are like clean threes. They're all like weird falling away faders and it's amazing it happens so he'll probably be the guy that gets the uh, shaft on that one i don't know about surge like like you said adam he has like the podcast before this one uh 124 we were talking about um deandre Ayton. he had that like 1950s Buffalo bulls like or whatever (laughs) basketball where he just like the gets it turns around and throws it up surge has a little bit bit of that to him and even better like i think Compared to Brooke Lopez, they're both obviously big guys, but uh, Serge is a little more like um, lithe. So I think he's able to better like I'm really impressed by his positioning on an offensive position. Like, okay, Giannis is going to the rim. Serge is there a lot of the time to like gather an offensive rebound and just put it right back up or reset an offense. Um, I like that a lot. That's different from what Bobby, where it's like Bobby's like. Like, just launch it out as far as he can. It's very rare that Bobby, like, goes up and really fights for a rebound and just goes back up with it unless he's totally, like, uncovered. Um, So that's probably the harder pick. Like, George Hill, that's fine. I think Pat will probably end up playing more over Wes Matthews just because Wes hasn't done as much on offense, and Pat proved himself last year. Uh, The Surge bobby thing is probably going to be, like, the biggest, And even then, I mean, you could say, oh, depending on what defensive look, that could probably be the more driving thing. Because offensively, I mean, if we're hoping, obviously Bobby and Serge, if they play well, that's a plus. But it, the main thing is, what's our defensive principle? Who are we trying to cover? That's who's going to decide. So I think it'll probably be like an opponent to opponent basis. And as we saw last year, Bobby was okay with like, okay, we just have to ride Brooke a lot in this you know this net series is Serge going to have the same mindset? Can Bobby maintain that mindset again? Another off season or another postseason, I should say. Um, those are the keys. But I feel confident that they'll both have roles to play. It's just it's really going to be opponent like specific as to who gets win minutes.
0: Be interesting to see. Yeah, there was a play to speaking to George Hills just you know, recognition and smart play. There was a play in the Memphis game, which was mostly forgettable and frustrating as a Bucks as a Bucks fan, but Giannis was bringing it up the court. He had been frustrated and they were, he was trying to score. They were clearly trying to get scores earlier in the shot clock. And George Hill was with him on like the, on the, on the left side of the floor. And he had just all of a sudden set like an impromptu pick on Jaron Jackson, Jr. that allowed Giannis to get baseline and score something. That's just George Hill knows how to play basketball. That's like one of the things that Bud seems to care about quite a bit. So, um, I'll be I'll be intrigued to see that speaking of that Memphis game uh, we, we won't linger on it to, Grizzlies win 127 to 102 I mean they've just been impressive all year I think they're 16 and two without John morant now so they didn't have they didn't have John Morant the bucks didn't have drew holiday the bucks just didn't have it I mean they were seven of 32 from three they couldn't make a three almost all night the Grizzlies Dominated them on the offensive glass. They had a thirty-three point three percent offensive rebound percentage. They lead the league in second chance points, and they beat the Bucks twenty-two to seven second chance points. They were getting in the paint whenever they wanted. I mean, it was it was really the the the, the Bucks almost made it a game. Like they almost made it maybe within single digits at one point, but for the most part, Kyle, like the, the Grizzlies just took it to the Bucks. Yeah,
2: Memphis is definitely one of those teams where, and you can see it with uh, Jenkins obviously being a bud protege. It's kind of one of those where they were all over Milwaukee. Milwaukee couldn't get anything around the rim. It was a very tough night shooting for pretty much everyone. I mean, Giannis was 11 to 20, which wasn't too bad, um, but like Bobby struggled pretty badly. Chris, he him coming back didn't really have the best game. I think, I don't want to know what their shot, their shooting percentage around the rim was, but it felt very, very low and them not being able to hit a three did not help matters it was memphis is good like it's that simple memphis is a very good team and they're gonna play you tough and i i think it's kind of one of those where you look and it's just like all right well take the tape burn it and let's just not talk about it. like the bucks only scored like 18 points in the second quarter it was just like a, all right this is not your night that happens sometimes we're just gonna we're just not going to talk about it. It's fine. We're we're not going to talk about the struggles. We don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about Fight Club. It is what <laughs> it is.
1: Um, so the Grizzlies, I just look, they're top five in pace in offensive rating and defensive rating for the season. Uh, I don't know, Adam, if you know, probably not off the top of your head, but what the Bucks like, defense, if cleaning the glass, even follows, like, defensive possessions, like, rating on transition buckets. But I was reading – a week and a half ago, or for last week's Monday Morning Media Roundup, I was looking at the Grizzly Bears Blues, and they were talking about in this piece about Taylor Jenkins. Um, he His thing is like cycles, right? So what it is is like as soon as we get the ball, just everybody starts sprinting, like whoever it is, outlet to John Morant and get going. Um, and you could see that even in this game where they have this principle where it's like a lot of dudes who are, like outside of John Morant, so you have John Morant on one end, Stephen Adams on the other, and everybody else in the middle is like sort of like similar size, similar skill set. Like they're all lithe, uh, quick defenders, like long armed. Um, the, the like <laughs> as the game went on, they kept getting like even crazier highlight moves or whatever in transition. You're like, Ugh, this just looks bad. And what's interesting is Stephen Adams has gone to a lot of different teams where it's like, oh, he's like obviously he's a really strong guy. He's not a bad player or anything, but it's like, how do you use a guy who doesn't shoot threes and is like a traditional center? Uh, Memphis has like figured it out. One, he does a similar like drop scheme. If you watch, you're like, oh my God, it's like Brooke with really long hair and a big beard. Like he's just out there like doing, he he falls right in. He knows exactly what to do. Like he's been good at that. And then over on offense, like they'll either have Adams post up on the elbow and he's just like the full around to which it works or what was hurting Milwaukee in this game is, okay, Brooke has to stay on Adams to a certain extent, because obviously there's nobody else who's his size. And Adams, like, he sets the pick, but he doesn't, like, re- like he'll hit, but then he'll move right as the pick gets set. And he'll, like, position with the other ball handler where, um, yes, I mean, there was a lot of, like, runners and, like, some of like, garbage jumpers. But we've seen in the past where if you're not able to stay attached to whoever the primary ball handler is – and without Drew Holiday out there, George Hill isn't like the same on that end in terms of what he can do there. Um, Stephen Adams does just like a really good job running the floor, like keeping Brooke out of the way so that there's not even that much of a contest or Brooke commits to whoever the ball handler is. And the guy can just like, he does a really good job of like just pass it over to Stephen Adams who gets it up and in. So I think it's really interesting watching what Memphis has done. Obviously really talented young team. We'll see how far they go once they get to the playoffs. But like you see the concepts of even without John Morant out there, like why it's so hard, because Steven Adams has been so good on defense and they have so many guys on offense who can either hit the three, do a little bit of ball handling, aren't asked to do like a ton, but they have the freedom, like creative freedom to like move in transition. Um, They I mean, they really get out on it. In transition it was it's like all the highlights you see all season long are like john moran to De'Anthony melton who throws it between his legs it's like watching the like harlem Globetrotters out there and it's a lot of fun to watch unless you're the team getting dunked on but this was how it was for the last memphis game too it's like well we lost by 30, but at least they put on a dunk show on us. So it was, it was fun to watch. So, you know, just a lot of credit to Memphis. I think Taylor Jenkins has taken some of the principles of Boone Holzer ball. He's adjusted it to his roster and then is specifically what his stars can do. Um, and I don't think there's any shame in losing to him. I think they would be a tough out, obviously, for Milwaukee. Have we lost all the games we played against them this year? I think we might have won the first game. I think they squeaked by
2: the first game.
1: Yes, so they've been close, or we've gotten walloped in two of them. Um, And maybe with Brooke Lopez back, if you can kind of figure out that Steven Adams thing, you might be able to work it. Um, But they would be a tough out. Uh, We'll see how far they go. But it's just, you know, they're an entertaining team to watch, and it sucks when uh, we do that. I like Chris coming back, immediately having five turnovers. That was (laughs) not good. This is the game. Yeah, I know it's his wrist. This is the game where it's like Javon Carter is, he is no true holiday when it comes to creating for the rest of the offense. It's like, oh, you know, even like entry passes were a bit of an adventure for Milwaukee. So uh, not good for us, but that's, it's not the end of the world, I don't think. Yeah, the Grizz
0: are interesting. I mean, they have all of these, they basically have all of these wings, plus like Tyus Jones and John Morant, who are like sort of small at the point of attack. They swarm a lot. You can see it where they could eat very easily, basically switch one through four and then keep Adams in the drop or whatever. Jaron Jackson jr. Is really good. He can kind of be a functional, you know, Giannis facsimile on some level. He's, he's upped his defensive game a lot. And they're, they're a strange team because they, they rely so much on transition. The bucks actually have the, I didn't realize this, the best transition defense in the league points per play, which I was kind of surprised by, but so so Memphis runs all the time like the Bucks but they have a much they're much more efficient in terms of scoring as you could see last night where seemingly the, the one thing I think they do that's a little different than the Bucks in transition is they will almost never look for a 3. They're going no. <laughs> to immediately to the rim which which I would say is probably a smarter I kind of wish the Bucks did that a little more often than pulling up for three. I think that's why their efficiency has never been that great. And if you look at the where like Memphis's shot profile they're second to last in the league in terms of shots coming from beyond the arc. Um, and then almost all of their shots come either at the rim or the short mid-range, which is like four to 14 feet, which was entirely what we saw against the Bucks. right? They're, they're Stevie Adams sets the pick. They kind of dribble in, whether it's Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain. They, they work inside the perimeter. They, they function in these really tight, small spaces, but they seem to have a lot. They're, they're really, really comfortable doing it. And then they pull up for a floater. They pull up for a, a jumper over the bucks, and it was just they—they they were wreaking havoc on them all night long. So uh, I'll be really curious to see how they how they function in the playoffs. Is there's a team that over the course of a whole series is able to kind of figure out what it is that they do? The transition stuff. I'm I'm very curious to see if that can play over a seven game series.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll see. So no no shame in this. It wasn't fun to watch. Um... But uh, yeah, it just drives home. Drew Holiday is really important uh, and the Grizzlies are really good. And that's about that.
0: Yeah. So, all right. So slightly big, big picture stuff from these past couple of weeks. So Pat, Brooke and George, uh, George Hill have all come back from their injuries. George Hill coming back from neck slash old, Brooke from his back and Pat from his shooting from his, uh, the, the injury on his shooting hand, I would say overall, Kyle Lots of positive signs. I mean, I would say especially Patton and Brooke, positive signs. George Hill's kind of been George Hill. But we have to be pretty heartened by what we've seen from them in these these first couple returns to action.
2: Yeah, I was skeptical about Brooke and how he would be. And so far, everything has been good. Like, especially that first game against Utah, it was clear, like, okay, he's... Definitely, like, obviously, there's still, like, the sharpness and, like, everything else that needs to get caught up. But in terms of just, like, the general of what Brooke brings, it was clear right from that Utah Jazz game, the first game back. I was like, okay, yep, this team's going to be really, really good with Brooke Lopez. With a fully up-the-speed Brook, this team is still the fi- favorites in the Conference, still could pop, probably win a title. Like, all right, I see, I see it now. It is very clear with Brooke Lopez. We talked about the communication. We talked about how much better defensively and the rebounding's been. Pat, I don't know what happened when he got his hand uh, healed, but all of a sudden he's shooting the ball really well. You know, it's kind of nice in that aspect, and I think it just showed, like, how much better the bench looks with Pat Connaughton out there. I don't think you can really complain about anything he's done. I'm very happy about that. Even George Hill, it's like he's not wowing everyone. He's not, you know, doing anything spectacular, but he is now a ball handler that when Drew is out, at least you have someone you can trust with the ball. And he don't have to put that onus on Giannis or Chris. So I think it's kind of nice to have all three of them back. I think especially at the same time, so they can all kind of get back to that, you know, fitness and get ready for the playoff run. It, it, it's interesting to see. I'm, I think out of the three, I'm most surprised about Brooke and how seamless his transition back has been between, you know, how much better the zone drop scheme is, how offensively he doesn't seem to be missing a beat. I think maybe they'll start going to him a bit more down low come playoff time, but it seems as though he has transitioned so well back into it that that has been what's surprised me the most. And I think even with like having Bobby coming off the bench, I think Bobby and I think it's one of those where Bobby just knows like, OK, when Brooks here, I'm I'm going to come off the bench. And that might be better for Bobby anyway, because then he doesn't have as much attention folk. He'll get more of the offense going through him. He'll get uh targeted less defensively. So I, I think it is all good. Very surprised at Brooks Brooks transition. And Pat is been he's going to be I think he is the sixth man that along with Bobby like all right you two are good for the playoffs we don't have to worry
1: uh I've also been impressed with Brooke uh you watch for like five minutes like it's a miracle we didn't lose every single game that Brooke (laughs) wasn't out there because Bobby just does not have the size or the execution and Giannis is just way better off ball like just being the hunter essentially on defense um what's probably most amazing about brook is how like physically because even a week beforehand they're like teasing like here's brook shooting threes before the whatever game and it's like man he looks 56 years old and he has a crazy beard i was like we're doomed and then he comes back out he shaves and he's like like physically uh he's out there setting picks like hard picks he's like fighting he's going up for like Alley oops and stuff. I was like, wow. I like, <laughs> I mean, physically, it's gone way better than I ever got to hope for. Cause I figured, even if he's physically mostly back, I could totally understand if you've had back pain, like, again, just trusting your body to, like, all of a sudden, like, oh, now I'm like hurting again. Like, he's out there setting picks. He's not ginger at all, pretty much on either end. So, uh, Brooke by far the most impressive return because he went for months and months without playing, had back surgery, and it looks like he hasn't really missed much. And, if this is some sort of like 30 D chess move, where it's like, look, we're just going to have Brooke who is uh, how old is he? he Like 34, I think, or something like Like he's whatever reaching his mid thirties, just give him the whole season, have him play like 10 games at the end of the year. And he's good to go. I mean, great move for the bucks if it pays off. So good for you. Um, Pat proved himself last year, obviously still making threes, which is great. Um, He's just kind of like a catch all, like helpful guy. George is like, like I said before, I think he's going to be the guy that gets um, the minutes from uh, Mike Budenholzer, but, like, you know, th- that's not the end of It just seems sometimes hard to, like, get exactly what he's doing. Um, he has, like, great plus-minus minutes or plus-minus numbers, um, which isn't, like, anything on a single game sample, but, like, it's something. And he makes intelligent plays, and that's probably enough for what the Bucks would need. This isn't the George Hill of, like two or three, like against the Raptors, like he's literally our second best player. Uh, thankfully, that's not a requirement anymore. And in this role, I think he's still totally sufficient. Um, so yeah, I like good returns across the board. Um, th- just the main question is like, how does then that move like surge and Javon Carter or even Wes Matthews and how are we going to move around that, which we talked about earlier. So uh, positive returns for all three guys. Um, yeah. Like 10 games. I think that should hopefully with with stuff to play for too. I don't like the Bucks have been obviously doing rest stuff with Giannis and Chris and Drew as well, um, but I have pretty good feeling of if they're still on the hunts. There, these are games to play for. Like they have reason to play for uh, chemistry purposes. Um, they have reason to play for seating purposes. Um, they might not care about the seating or like strategically playing for a specific seed. I don't know if they would do that or not. But um, I think everything's come together. The one thing. I'm a little concerned about is Bobby Portis not because Bobby has like the wrong mindset because he obviously has the right mindset. Like Adam said, he talked to Eric name. He said, Hey, you know, like I told coach, like, it's no big deal. Like, you know, Brooks, the starter, I've just been filling in for him in his absence, wherever. So that's like the total right mindset and everything. I think there is something to be said about the fact that he's played like nearly if not sixty games. I'd have to look how many he started a lot of games with starters were like, okay, we're going to the first quarter, we're gonna get Bobby like all the shots, like very first position a lot of the time is a Bobby Portis design three that he hits on a pretty number of now that he's moving to the bench. How does that change for the lineups he plays against? He's kind of tanked a little bit the past couple weeks, even before Brooke came up, like it wasn't like a catastrophic drop off, but compared to what he was doing the first half of the season, he's dropped off a little bit. i just is 10 games enough for him to work back into a shuffle in the rotation. Uh, obviously once we get to the playoffs, if he's getting played, it's going to be with a lot of starters, like the starting guys anyhow. So hopefully that'll be okay in the playoffs. But that would be, of all the guys I would be concerned about, it's probably, what does Bobby do now that he's on the bench? How does that change like his approach on offense? Um, and like, working with Brooke is like a different thing than working with Giannis. If that's who comes off to like spell Giannis some minutes, we leave Brooke out there. So just, that's probably the guy I'm most concerned about. And he, he was big for us in the finals. So uh, there's just a lot of questions about probably Bobby, most of all the guys, assuming the three guys who return have like full-minute compliments coming back to them, essentially. It's
0: an interesting point, but Bobby Portis obviously, yeah, was key. It went series to series for him. Uh the one thing about Brook, he's he's most I think he's maxed out at twenty four minutes so far. So I mean, he played
1: 28, 28 against Memphis. Oh, right okay,
0: sure. twenty. Okay, so he's he's getting up there. I mean, we'll have to see come playoff time. There were Nets games where he played forty five minutes. So that that is a bit of a concern if he's someone who you absolutely need to rely on. I think having Surge could alleviate a little bit of that because he's at least someone else who can play drop Giannis also can play drop but I I, I don't know I just don't really we'd need rather to him that. not have yes. to <laughs> yes <laughs> not <laughs> that Giannis can't do it that.
2: it just doesn't utilize him
0: best <laughs> yes yeah if, if you're going to to Giannis at center you should be basically switching um functionally at that point in, in the playoffs so it be interesting to see I'm glad Pat Connaughton's shooting hasn't seemed to tail off i mean when you have an injury in your shooting hand that that could be a clear concern but he seemed to be ready and and rearing to go hitting all his shots and george hill if if we're thinking about the context of the roster last year he essentially has to be better than jeff teague which i think we we all agree that he probably could be so good stuff from the bucks um any 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 thoughts on the standings it's like impossible to understand where the bucks are going to be in the standings right now so as we're recording this i didn't realize this the the heat just lost last night on saturday night to the nets so the standings as of right now are technically the sixers are in first and then it's the heat celtics bucks bulls raptors cavaliers and nets are the eighth seed so I don't know. I I, I think Kyle, we th- we think it doesn't seem like the Bucks are going to do any sort of strategic tanking. But it's just it's it's like impossible to figure out how, how it's going to sh- shuffle out here.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, the Bucks are not going to strategically tank if they were, if they didn't do it last year when they could have avoided the Miami Heat. They're probably not going to do it this year. Um, it it'll be because they have Philly their next game. They have Brooklyn. They still have a game against Boston. And they still have so the, those three games could give us a better idea of where they will be. It, it's not like the Bucks have an easy schedule, but they, they definitely have a schedule that's going to require them to not just kind of put their feet up. I think the only game that's against a bad team is Detroit, and they did that and they lost that game. So, um, <laughs> they I, I think that's probably going to be good. I, I have no clue what, how that's going to shake out between those four teams because it also depends on obviously health and what philly decides to do if boss i mean boston's been ridiculously hot and will that continue or is that gonna kind of start cooling off you know miami who knows what they're gonna, it is going to be interesting because like philly plays i think philly plays phoenix tonight so you know depending on how that goes that could also shift things so it'll i don't know how where the bucks will finish i don't think they care i think they're going to try and win pretty much all the games like I said other than that Detroit one they're gonna probably go with a full strength team as much as possible and
1: we'll just see the trickiest part is the play-in so like you could be like oh well if we get to like the top two seas but I mean given the play-in dynamics this is perfect stuff because the Hornets and the Hawks are both like not good enough to be full-on playoff teams so they're in the right spots but they are insane enough to have like one or two crazy games and like knock the, net, the Nets out of the playoff picture, which would be amazing. I'm hoping that happens. That would be awesome. I would love that. Um, so even then, like that's what makes it even more difficult. I'm sure they've like because they have a lot of free time in the front office. They've played out like if we're here and then they there and then if the playing goes this way, then we'll play the Nets. It's just so hard to even like guesstimate where you would end up at. So um, I don't know. I think depending on how like the maybe next three or four games go and you see where the bulls are, like you just go for that. Cause I, of all the teams that are in the lower end, uh, the bulls are by far the one that would want the most. And right now at the playoff center today, we would get the bulls in the first round, which would be amazing. I think we mentioned that earlier. Um, Don't want to play the Raptors, but I think, I don't know. There's so many minefields in here. The Nets obviously are possible minefields. Uh, the Raptors too, like Celtics, all the top end teams. It's going to be an earned playoff run. I doubt we're going to, I don't know. I would have said before though, like, oh, we're not going to rest at all. And then like every other game is like, oh, is this the one where we get everybody back? And they're <laughs> like, oh, Uh, Drew slipped on a banana peel before the game, so he's out, you know, like, (laughs) so we've yet to like see a need apparently to play the whole squad together. So I'm not sure if that'll maintain, but, uh, you know, obviously we're going to try and win the games, but how hard are we really going to try? There's not going to be a game where Mike Boone is going to be like, all right, tonight, Chris, Drew, Giannis, you guys are playing 45 minutes today. Like, we're going, we're going for the seating. Like, you know, we're going to play their usual, like, 30 minutes or whatever. It, however, it happens, happens. I think it's the way they're going to go about it, which is fine. Like, how are you supposed to guesstimate? Everybody's so close at the top. Like, I don't know. Whatever. Well, not
2: even at the top, just even like through the playing games. Cause I mean, Chicago's at five, but they're only two games ahead of seventh place Cleveland. Yeah. And Cleveland's only two games behind. I mean, yeah, Cleveland's a game behind Toronto, Brooklyn's still two games behind Cleveland, and then you have you, kind of like, even though the Nets and the Hornets and Hawks aren't that great, and they're probably where they need to be, they're not that far off from eighth either, so like, if they win a couple games and Brooklyn loses, all of a sudden Brooklyn might be playing for the eighth seed, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, congrats on getting the one seed, here's Brooklyn, it, it, it is going to be interesting, I don't think I, I do think the teams that are currently in the play in are gonna try their best to play to avoid that. While the top four teams are kind of just say, "Yeah, we'll see what happens," and we're yeah, like you said, Riley, like maybe one player will get rested, but I, I don't expect any full on. Okay, we don't care. Like we got our playoff spot, we're gonna kick our feet up until not like what happened the last few years. It's like, all right, we're in the playoffs, we're good. All
1: right, so here, here, this is we don't have rapid fire this week. So here is my one rapid fire question for you guys. Over under 1.5, Jordan Wara starts for the rest of the season. Uh, let me look at the schedule again. Because <laughs> that's the ultimate we're just resting, dudes. If Jordan Wara's out there getting those starter minutes, that's the ultimate, like, we don't care. I he might get the start against Detroit. <laughs>
2: I will say over, yes, I have Detroit as a locked in. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah. he is going to start. I'm just trying to see if there's any back-to-backs that might, like, cause to maybe rethink how things go I, I'm going to say over yeah they have a back-to-back with Brooklyn and Clippers later this week and then they have a back-to-back with Boston and Detroit yeah I'm gonna say over
0: Adam I'm gonna go under because I don't want it to happen <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just am trying to will it into existence please bud play play your starters please
1: and then then actually I actually came up with another rapid fire. This is off the schedule or the standing. So uh, Sandro, he tweeted, had a 30.20 rebound game and with the Herd this week. And he tweeted, Christian Wood-esque, a caged bird can't fly. Uh, drama in the locker room. Is he demanding Mike Budenholzer play him big minutes as a uh, as a man on a championship defending roster? Or do did we, did we think anything about Sandro letting Coach Bud know that a caged bird cannot fly?
2: Uh, I'm not asking, concerned because this was after a 30 point 20 rebound game, which is very impressive in its own right. So, like, this is the one time now if he were to do this after getting like 15 and 10, then I'll start getting concerned. <laughs> but a third, I think you can tweet. I, can, I think you can get the right to tweet what you want when you have a 30 20 game.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm always going to be on his side. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wouldn't mind if he got the start. No, I. You know he's been, he's been a great soldier, right? He's he's been good in these videos. It seems like he wears um, the the Giannis shoes every game. I think he's been wearing those from the start. Which like maybe they're just free, and he's like, yeah, I don't make much money, so I'm definitely going to wear these. I'm on so, like, the,
1: I'm on a two way contract, yes. two year <laughs> two way contract. So I got to do what I can. <laughs> but uh,
0: but I I, I think I, I think they're still good. I, I still am have am holding out hope that maybe he gets that last roster spot um, for for next season and he sticks around so mostly because i want to watch him in summer league again because i don't i don't want to watch the team again and cover the games so uh Mm -hmm. yeah i think he's i think he's okay i'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt Okay,
1: very good. Just wanted to confirm that there wasn't – that Sandra wasn't the deep plant uh, at the end of the season who was going to blow up the locker room.
2: Yeah, no. Like I said, yeah, I'll be concerned go. if he gets like 15 points, eight rebounds, and it does it on like 20 shots.
0: Then, yeah, then, then we're going to start having some concerns. Okay, very good. Oh, boy. All right. We're going to take a quick break, close it out with our miscellaneous topics on the other, this other side of this, so stay tuned.
1: This is Advertiser Content brought to you by Frito-Lay.
0: Just go to frito
2: No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void prohibitive. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com.
0: right, we are back. It's Kyle's film review time. The long-awaited, long-anticipated review here.
2: Finally, yes. So Spider-Man No Way Home. I... <laughs> I felt like it had to be what it's the three of us, even though I'm sure Riley does not care that much. I, I had said Well, I don't know if you care well, about Marvel no, movies. I,
1: I don't care about Marvel movies. And to be honest, I lost track of the Spider Man movies maybe a decade and a half ago. After <laughs> the first Toby Maguire movie, I stopped paying attention. I have no idea where we are in the wider Spider Man verse.
2: That's fair. I don't know. It felt like a okay, I have to I have to do this like a legitimate film review, so that's why I've been putting it off. Well, first it was spoilers and then we didn't record for like a a month it felt like. Um, no, Spider Man No Way Home, fantastic, absolutely fantastic, one of the best Marvel movies. I, the biggest reason wasn't like the kind of surprises because like it was always like one of those where once we kind of knew what the plot was, oh, maybe all three spiders will happen. And I think there's too much discussion like, will all three Spider Man show up as opposed to how is this going to affect everything else that happens in the Marvel universe? And this is one of those where you yeah, you do have to watch pretty much most of the Marvel movies to understand what the hell is going on. But it was kind of, for me, that was kind of the, how do we cause the chaos? Because we saw with the TV series, with WandaVision, we saw with Loki, we saw, like, we saw, like, it was building to this multi multiverse. like, all of a sudden, shit's going to hit the fan. So how does it happen? And it's like, between all these events, and now this is kind of like the, finally, you throw the lit, Match into the dynamite, but it was really cool. I I mean, also like having the villains. I think it was a good chance to give Andrew Garfield a chance to be Spider Man again because it's not his fault that the movies weren't that great. It's not his fault, and like Jamie Fox, not his fault. Like the villains were kind of bland or whatever. It was awesome seeing Willem Dafoe come back as Green Goblin. That was probably my favorite. Like that was my favorite moment. He has not lost a step. I'm very happy for it. But no, I, I think overall it was a really good movie as well in terms of just like start to finish even if you don't follow the marvel stuff that's going on i think you could still watch the spider-man movie and enjoy it i think there's enough comedy i think there's enough it is very depressing at the end but i think there's enough where it was an enjoyable film i'm giving it a 9.9 9 out of 10 i can't give it a 10 There, it, there are some parts where i'm like Okay, you guys really are kind of being stupid. You could have solved this problem like five different ways, but it it was really good. I had a great time. I understand the hype that went behind that went into it.
1: Adam, do you like the Marvel movies? Did you watch this movie?
0: I have not seen. I was. I've been waiting for it to be rentable, and I okay. I think it is now. Seen it yet. I know, and now I'm just putting
1: it off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> are you Are you into like yeah. the Marvel universe though? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because when when I listen to Kyle, Kyle Great Review, when I listen to him speak about this, it's like listening to a foreign language. When you're like, you have to watch all the Marvel movies. You're like, oh, the three Spider Men. Uh, when J. B. Fox was back, like we're bringing in so many. I mean, this is so not many many words. words. This
2: is just like general Spider Man <laughs> shit. Like that's not would Marvel when I talk about <laughs> Andrew Garfield and J. B. Fox.
1: <laughs> I mean, so as me, who's somebody who really doesn't care about movies at all. So if I was somebody who had. Uh, and I am somebody who has never watched like outside of the first Avengers movie and like the first Spider-Man movie when I was like 10 years old or whatever uh can I just jump into this movie do they give you enough background to know what's happening so I'm talking about just like because the thing about Marvel is at this point it's too deep for like a non-Marvel person to really jump in it feels like to me at least
0: yeah I
2: think I think you can. I think the only thing that will confuse you is just, like, some of the characters. So, like, Doctor Strange is in it. And if you don't understand, like, what Doctor Strange's power and, like, abilities are, it might throw you off a bit. But you... I think you can. Like, obviously, some of the other villains, it's kind of a... You might not fully understand what's going on, but you can kind of get the gist of what happens with the plot. So, yes, I think you could jump into it. You probably would have, like, some questions that you would need to, like, dig and find out. But overall, Yes. I I think there is enough where you can just, like, walk and watch and have a good time. Okay. And then there's people like me where it's, like, I've watched all of these, like, TV series and movies, and it's like, okay. And, like, there's definitely going to be jokes that, like, are going to go over your head.
1: Okay. Well, I'm not going to watch it because I don't watch superhero movies, but thank you for the review. I'm glad
2: that people <laughs> who do like
1: it, it turned out really well. So it, cool. it
2: definitely lived up to the hype that was building up to it around Christmas time when the movie came out. It definitely lived up to it, I would say. Did,
1: did I see that? Was Toby Maguire in this or was that just yes. like a meme? Okay, he was. No, he, okay. Him,
2: Andrew, yes. He was in it. Andrew Garfield was in it. Tom Holland's yes they were all and those
1: those are the three who were like the previous they've all played Spider-Man in like yeah. whatever iterations basically okay. since,
2: since they've done more live action
1: not live action but you know what I mean yeah 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 okay very good uh good job Spider-Man people I'm happy for you I guess <laughs>
0: <laughs> Kyle I think you got
1: Riley real close to maybe that <laughs> no, tonight. not a chance in hell am I doing that but I appreciate the review regardless if somebody put if I was like at somebody's place and they were like, oh, let's watch whatever, I'd be like, okay, that's fine, but I'm not going to actively look it out for myself. So but thank you anyhow. All right.
0: From niche to um uh, very, Super very broad, to- broad to- popular <laughs> because- there. We go to fountain pen <laughs> review. What do we have?
1: You know, right. let he let he who has no hath not sin cast the first stone. I know, I'm aware. Uh, so this week we're talking about another Iron Gall Ink. Uh, let's go. Let's go deep with it. You this talk, is you this talk about
0: the marble stuff being foreign.
1: <laughs> oh. We're going to the Spider-Man uh, Next Universe whatever movie of inks here. Uh, so I've already talked. This would have been months ago. I talked about a Roaring and Klinger uh, Iron Gall Ink. Uh, the last one would have been the scabiosa. This one is the salix. So I'm gonna. You guys are gonna be able to tell from the damn video. You never are, but um, as you can see, it's like a lavender purple. Um, and as I've talked before, the iron go. What's different about it is it's literally like iron, um, not filings, but whatever like specific like characteristics are in iron when you put it into liquid form. They mix it with the dye, and this essentially it like burns itself into the paper. And if you were to like, if I was to write this and let it sit for like a thousand years, it would literally just burn a hole in the paper Um, because this is like essentially the permanent ink of the ink, like fountain pen ink world. Um, The color is like nothing crazy, but what's funny about it is it goes down light and then over like a day it gets dark. Over a year it gets even darker, and that's part of that same like burning process. So it works with the paper, interestingly, uh, and it's so toxic that I mean, obviously, I wouldn't ingest it myself uh, to get rid of COVID or anything. But <laughs> say, for example, I'm using this right here. This is my diplomat with a steel nib. Um, if I wasn't to clean this out in like a week or two, it would literally start like corroding the iron, the steel in it. Like that's how hardcore this stuff is. Usually if you have a gold nib pen, gold doesn't react at all to it. So you can leave it in there for quite a bit longer, but the specific like um, little like uh, molecules within the ink, it'll like jam up the feed for the pen um, So it's not a very popular type because a lot of people like to fill up a pen and then forget it. And you can do that with dye-based inks, no problem, because it's just water, essentially. Um, with this, you have to be pretty, like, on top of it. So I only use it in my gold pens or if I'm going to be, like, really using a pen a lot over the next week or two. Um, but I like the color on it. It's, like, pretty inoffensive. At least it has a color. A lot of them are, like, just black or straight blue. This one's, like, a lavendery purple. So uh, I'm I'm pleased with it. Uh, it plays well with all sorts of paper. If you're going to get like crappy office paper, that's all you have. Iron gall plays the best with any like of all the different inks. So a lot about it. Uh, big fan. Um, like it a lot. And this, there's not a lot of producers that do it. It's usually German companies that do it these days um, just because it costs a lot and that doesn't have a big market. So respect to you, Rowing and Klinger for uh, putting it together still and for having a market to sell it to. So uh, the Salix ink this week. Big fan.
2: I I was going to ask, like, is there a specific paper that you have to use it for based off of the – based off of how you describe it, Mm -hmm. but you didn't answer that. That is – The fact that it gets darker, I think it's kind of cool. and yeah terrifying at the same time
1: <laughs> it is a little um it, so like the way this was i mean this is the oldest type this is back in like the middle ages like medieval dark ages this was the ink that they used because the way that they had to do it is they had to use the iron filings and then um, essentially work it i don't know exactly what they used to get it but this is how all the ancient manuscripts and stuff mm. this is what you'll see if you see the ink like if you'll see something from like medieval england or something and it's like that really crazy like artistic style and latin or whatever that's usually an iron gall ink they were using and that's why they have to do so much preservation not only because the paper gets aged out and dried but the ink itself if you don't neutralize it will essentially just burn a hole through the paper so like that there's this whole like Different dynamic with like historians having to keep on top of it when they find a new manuscript, like we have to isolate it. Otherwise, you know, God only knows the state of the paper between it being dry and having this ink on it. So this this is a very interesting history. It's the oldest kind of ink that's still like in use. Like it's thousands of years of history in what I've just used on this paper here. So it's a very interesting like ink itself.
0: Hmm. That's pretty cool. Um, I did not know any of that. Thanks, Riley. Good good history lesson there. All right. Let's do Predictions awesome games this week should be a really good slate of games. I'm excited for this because the end of the regular season normally sucks. So Tuesday, they are at the 76ers Thursday at the nets day after that, they come home Friday against the Clippers. And then early next Sunday, it's a noon tip central time oh, against Jason Kidd and the Dallas Mavericks. Who knows how that's going to go. Kyle, what is your prediction for the week?
2: I will say three and one. I, I think they're going to try and come out with the statement, beat the Sixers. Uh, they're going to go ahead, beat the Nets, drop to the Clippers. I think that's going to be a weird aberration shooting day. Whatever, it's going to happen, and it's also a back-to-back. And then they beat the Mavericks. So I'm I'm going to say they, they are going to throw the gauntlet down, and especially with Brooke Lopez back, they're going to say, okay, we're going to reestablish ourselves. And they should have beaten the Nets the last time they played, and they didn't because, A, Kyrie went off, and, B, it was just dumb decision-making by the Bucs. And I don't, I don't think that'll happen twice. So I'm going to say 3-1. and one.
1: Uh, I'll guess two and two. Uh, The team does really good on national TV when we stomp on mediocre teams, but we also, we had a lot of times where I'm like, this is it. This is the premier matchup against the Sixers and the Nets. And then we just absolutely fall to pieces. So we'll lose those two games. uh, Keep it interesting. And people wring their hands and declare that we're going to lose in the first round of playoffs. And we will beat the Clips and Mavericks this week.
0: I'm going to go, I'm going to go three and one. I'm going to feel positive. I did not know this, so I was just checking this, because I assumed the 76ers game would be a national TV game. I was gonna, nope. you know, say we take it. But no, they had to slot the Lakers, Mavericks in at the early slot there. That being said, Bucks are on TNT on Thursday night, so that would have been double dipping, but still. Um, anyway, that's on League Pass. Oh, F. Probably blacked out for me. Mother effer, or I'll figure out a way around that. God <laughs> Guess damn you're it. going to the game. Guess you got to make an oh. appearance in the arena. <laughs> okay, all right, sorry. That's some live thought process. So three and one for me. Good week for the Bucks is what I'm hoping. Please beat the Sixers. Okay, that has been the Brew Hoop podcast episode 126. Great to have the gang back together. Go to brewhoop.com for all our usual pieces. Monday morning media roundup, Wednesday wrap up, which I think this is this week might be my second to last for our last one, which will be. Good um, Friday, vans progress report, all usual pieces in between, our recaps, previews, etc. Share the podcast with your friends. If you review it, we'll, I think we'll read your review. I think we've been saying that for a while. I think we might have not read the last one. We'll,
1: do, we'll do it next week. Next for week sure. will be <laughs> the time <when> we remember <laughs> to do it.
0: But anyway, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you again soon.